But I just want to tell you that I, uh, I've enjoyed the first two weeks of this series. And what, what, what we did was we started out in the first week and I preached a message about the necessity of God's word and how we need it, why we need it, why it is important. What are the, what are the, the implications of, of us neglecting God's word in our life? What takes place in our life when we neglect the word of God? What takes place in, in an individual's life, in a family's life, and in the life of a church? And, and that first message was all about us realizing that we don't ever want to experience that. That we want to hold God's word high and, and that re- revival, the center, the beginning, the foundation of revival centers upon the word of God spoken to us. And that, that, that revival starts when there's a reverence for God and his word. And that's what I want in our life, in the life of our church and in our community. I want to see a revival start when God's word is exalted. You know, there's so many people in our world today that they don't honor God and his word. And then we, we need a revival of that in our world today, in our society, in our community. So that's what we looked at the first week. And then last week, Pastor Matt did a phenomenal job last week talking about trembling before the word of God. So God's word, because of the history of the nation of Israel, was, was set aside and it was collecting dust. And they reaped the consequences of that. But, but Ezra came, the priest Ezra came and he, he came back to Jerusalem. And he preached the word of God to God's people for 14 years. He plowed the ground. He plowed the ground. And as a result, it culminated in what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. And so when Ezra, he opened the book, and everyone stood when he read from the word of God. And then as he read it, what, what did we learn last week? That the people, they lifted up their voices and they said, amen, amen. There was agreement. What, is it, what does amen mean? It means so be it. There was agreement. And it says they bowed their heads to the ground. It means that there was surrender. There was, there was this sense of awe and reverence. So there was agreement and there was reverence at the word of God. And so now this week what we're going to look at is we're, we're going to look at those who are specifically called. There's a group of men that stood with Ezra as he read for six hours from, from sunrise to, to noon. But then there's a group of men that went down with the people. And they explained the word of God to God's people. And that's what we're going to look at in Nehemiah chapter 8. But before I read Nehemiah 8, have you ever been given a responsibility for something? How many of you have responsibilities? We all do. Now, now, do you remember those days when you didn't have responsibilities? What was that like? Sometimes I see children running around and I think, what must that be like? No bills to pay? You're not worried about dinner, whether or not it's going to be cooked or not. You just want food in your mouth. You're not worried about what people think of your appearance. You're not worried about, but you know, you're not worried about if people have a bad opinion about you, a good opinion about you. I'm talking like four or five years old, right? You're just roaming around. I was opening the door up front with Dominic Jr. I had Dominic Sr. there, and Dominic Jr. was there. Dominic the fourth, third, somewhere. Four-year-old precious little boy. He didn't care what's going on. He just knows after an hour of opening the door, his arms are tired. That's all he's worried about. Precious time. No responsibility, but we all have responsibilities. Do you remember your first child when they were born? I remember my first child was born, Joel Michael Bufkin. He, you know, he was born 14 years ago tomorrow. Tomorrow is Joel's birthday. I thought Joel would be right here. Where is Joel? Hmm? There he is. My boy, I remember 14 years ago tomorrow, the day that you were born. I just want to tell you happy birthday. 
Happy birthday, Joel. 14 years old. Can you believe that? I must be getting older. Y'all don't know how old I am, but I am getting older. I have a 14-year-old son. You can try to do the math for those of you who don't know my age. Um, And so I remember that feeling when you left the hospital. I remember at Terrebonne General, under the awning there by the Women's Center. I don't know if they had the Women's Center, but wherever we were, we put Joel in the car seat. And I'm like, is it going to be okay? You know, is this thing going to actually work if we get in a wreck? And I remember strapping him in there, and we were in our little Honda Civic, and we're driving away, and I'm like, both hands on the wheel, you know, 10 and 2. I wasn't just casually touching it, and no cell phone was nowhere to be found, and I'm holding on that steering wheel, and I'm driving slower than I normally do, and, I'm, and someone slams on their brake, I'm upset when they cut me off. I mean, it was like responsibility for a life in the back seat. Wow, this is amazing. And then, then now we're on child four. Child four, it's good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> I'm going to be driving, you know. I'm, hopefully your car seat's strapped in good. <laughs> Poor old Lincoln there. I still feel responsible for Lincoln. But I, I, I tell this story to illustrate a point. That in Nehemiah 8... God gave a responsibility to Ezra and those priests who were Levites, and they went down. It was their responsibility to go down and explain the word of God to God's people. And they took that responsibility serious. So this is what I want to do. I want to read from Nehemiah 8. And if you remember last week, what what happened whenever he opened the book? What did they all do? They all stood up. So I want us to do that. And maybe this tradition will stick. I have no idea. We'll see what happens next Sunday. But I'm going to read Nehemiah 8, verses 7 and 8. And if you're able, let's stand up in honor of God's word as it is read today. And I'm going to actually read it from my Bible instead of my iPad. So Nehemiah 8, and I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. It won't be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 6, and we'll go and read through 6 through 8. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Masai, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, these were all Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. God, I thank you for your word. This is the word of the Lord spoken to us. And Lord, we reverence it. We honor it. We ask that you would speak to our hearts. God, I ask that you would help me to open my mouth. To preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the Levites... Those men that are listed, I probably butchered all their names. These were the Levites. And these men, the Levitical priesthood, they were set apart from the tribe of Levi to be the people of God that were chosen to lead the nation of Israel spiritually. So they were called to to take care of the law, to tend to the law, to teach the law. They were called to care for the sacrifices for the nation of Israel. They were given responsibilities to lead the people of God. And if you notice what they did there, when the law of God was read for six hours... They went down afterwards, and there was probably actually even 
some actual literal interpretation between languages that they were doing. But it also says in verse 8 that they gave the sense. They gave the meaning. They let them understood. They they let they help them understand what was just read to them. And and that was their responsibility. They were over the law of God. The, The Levitical priests were set apart. And they were held to requirements, to standards. The priests were held to standards for their life, to how they were to live, to where they were to live. They couldn't have outside work and they had to, the, the, their provision was, was, that came from, from, from the temple. And they had requirements about the way they would live, how they would live, where they would live, and what they would do. And this was the priesthood. And they had a sacred honor to take the word of God and to explain it to God's people. So what I want to do today is I see a parallel between the Levitical priesthood and what we would call new, in, in the New Testament, elders and pastors. Elders or pastors. You know the word elder in the New Testament and the word pastor are one and the same. They have the same meaning. So when you hear the term elder in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul or, or you hear the word pastor, it's the same meaning. Elder and pastor. Same role. I believe there's a parallel. Just as the Levitical priesthood had responsibilities and requirements and standards on their life, and one of them was to explain the law of God to God's people. The same is true for those who are called to be pastors and elders in the house of God. There are responsibilities, there are requirements on the men who are called to be elders and pastors in the local church. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look deeply, a little bit deeper, into what are those responsibilities. Who is a pastor to be? I'm not going to go into the Old Testament and go over the requirements for the, the Levitical priest, because that wouldn't benefit me or you this morning. But it will benefit me and you this morning for us to think a little bit deeper about what it is that, the, that, that a pastor is called to do. Who is he called to be? What are the requirements on his life? And you think, well, I didn't come on a Sunday morning for you to tell me what your job description is. Well, that doesn't help me out. It does help you out for three reasons. Here are my three reasons why you need to know what my job description is and the other pastors and elders that are in this church. Number one, you need to know that we as pastors understand the seriousness of our calling. That's, that's an important reason. You need to understand that, that as I go through the New Testament and explain what my calling is and what is required of my life, you need to know it is important for you to understand that I understand the seriousness of, of my calling as a pastor and what God requires of me in my life to hold this office. That's a very important reason. Secondly, another reason is, is that we, as pastors on staff here, need to be publicly held accountable for what our calling requires. So when I go to the Word of God and I read the text of God from the Word of God about what my responsibility and calling is, I am publicly holding myself accountable to what God's Word says about who I am to be and what I am to do. And that is very important that I do that and that you hear me do that. And thirdly, here's a very important reason. You need to know who a pastor is supposed to be according to scripture because in the future you may be looking for a new pastor. Hopefully not next week or later today, but you will be. I mean, think about it. I've, I've had more than one pastor in my life. I've had at least three pastors in my life. I came to Living Word from another church and was sitting under another pastor. So God changes our seasons and he changes our times. And, and so you, you, you might not be here at Living Word for very much longer. You may be here for another 20 years. I don't know. 
But whatever the length of time you're called here, I believe it's important for you to see who a pastor is to be because I believe that the role of a pastor in the life of a believer is so important and how a pastor functions and what he does and if he lives up to the calling that scripture, not what I think. Because I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says today about who a pastor is to be. And you need to know what that standard is to where whenever you leave here, and if God calls you to another city, to another church, that you'll know and you'll step into that church and you watch what the pastor does. You watch how he handles God's word, if he handles it. You watch how he lives his life and you can know, wait, wait a second, that's not what God's word says. And you can move on and find a place where the man of God and the men of God, the pastors on staff, meet those requirements and are faithful to those requirements. So this is why it's important. So this is what we're going to do. There's so many places I could start when I, in describing what our responsibilities are, but I, I believe that First Peter chapter 5 is a good place for us to start as a foundation to launch us into what pastors are called to be and who they're, what they're called to do. So let's read First Peter 5 verses 1 through 4. It says this, So I exhort the elders, elders, pastors among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So I see in this text in 1 Peter 5, just as those Levites in Nehemiah 8 had their responsibilities, and you can go to the Old Covenant and see those responsibilities, I see some key responsibilities for New Covenant elders, pastors, and what they're to be and who, who they're called to be in these verses right here in 1 Peter 5. And we're going to unpack what those responsibilities are directly from this text. The first one is very simple. Pastors are called to be shepherds. Pastors are called to be shepherds. That's what it says in 1 Peter 5. Peter says, I charge the elders among you. As a fellow elder, I charge the elders among you to shepherd the flock of God. To be a shepherd. Pastors are called to be shepherds. What do shepherds do? If you could whittle down to two main responsibilities. That's what I've done. I've whittled it down to two main responsibilities. What would those main responsibilities be of a shepherd? Think of a, of an actual shepherd of literal sheep, animals. What, what, what would the two main responsibilities that a shepherd would have? To feed and to what? Protect. That's it. If a shepherd of real sheep if they don't feed the sheep because the sheep don't know where to go to get food unless the pastor, unless the shepherd leads them to the food. And the sheep are going to keep eating. And no matter what's going on around them, they're going to consume what's put in front of them. And if the shepherd's not watching and is not taking care to protect the sheep, they're left vulnerable. And so feeding and protecting are the two main responsibilities of a shepherd. The same is true for us, for me, as the shepherd of Living Word Church. I'm called to be a shepherd. I'm called to feed and to protect. Those are my two main responsibilities. But both of these responsibilities are done through one primary way. One primary thing. Feeding and protecting is done through one primary thing. And that is the preaching of God's word. You are fed 
when God's word is preached, when God's word is taught, not my opinion, not my soapboxes that I stand on, but in as much as I read the word of God and I explain it to you, that's when you're fed. That's when you are fed. And also it's when you're protected. Did you hear what I said earlier about the sheep? They'll just eat and eat and eat and eat. Sheep will eat what is placed in front of them. And even if it's not the, not good for them or the right thing, it's placed in front of them and they're going to eat. And so it's, it's a responsibility of, that I have and all pastors have to make sure that we're preaching God's word and his truth because it is what will protect the sheep from the attacks of the enemy. And that's clearly what 2 Timothy chapter 4 says. Listen to Paul's. And we're going to look at a lot of what Paul says to young Timothy, a pastor. 2 Timothy 4 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. I want you to catch that for a second. Paul is encouraging Timothy, challenging Timothy. And he's saying, I'm charging you. I am giving you a commission. I am telling you, Timothy, as a pastor, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is going to be the judge. Timothy. The Lord's going to judge what you do as a pastor. He's going to judge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Do what, Timothy? Preach the word. This is how my sheep are fed. This is how they are protected. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean, in season and out of season? It means all the time. It means that when the word of God is in season in the heart of God's people, Or it's out of season and they don't want to hear truth. You preach it when they want to hear truth and you preach it when they don't want to hear truth. Timothy, preach it all the time. In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. But Timothy, do it with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And what will, what will the sheep do? They will turn away. They will, they will stop listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. Isn't that what sheep do? That's what sheep do. They wander off. They have to be shepherded. They have to be protected by the teaching of God's word. And he's saying, Timothy, you have to preach the word. You do it all the time. You do it consistently. You do it relentlessly. You go through the word and you teach it and you explain it just as the priest did in Nehemiah chapter 8. You get down with the people and you explain the word of God to the people of God so that they can grow spiritually and so they can be protected from false teaching. You know, there are so many pastoral paradigms out there. There are so many views of what a pastor is supposed to be out there. And I watch a lot of preachers. I watch a lot of preachers preach, and, and it's what preachers do, I think. We listen to a lot of preachers, and, and, and there's a lot of ideas of, of who I'm to be or what a pastor is to do, how they're, how they're to lead. But a pastor's job is not to be an entertainer. It's, it's not my job. It's not, our job. It's not a pastor's job to be an entertainer. Sheep don't need entertainment. They need food. They need food to live. It's not my job to be funny. I'm not, I, there's nothing wrong with me being funny. I told a nice, funny in, introduction, right? It's good, right? It's like I put that fourth child joke in there so you would laugh. <laughs> it, you know, I, I'm not called to be boring either. <laughs> Right, but, uh, but my job is not to be an entertainer. My job is to feed you. You know, I hear some people, they say so many times, oh, that was such a funny sermon. It's not my job to be funny. And whoever you're listening to, 
If it was a funny sermon, that's great if it was. But was there any truth in it? Did they teach the Bible to you? Or, or is it, do you only remember what you thought was funny in the sermon? When you think, when you step back and you, after you've heard a sermon, you step back and you think, oh man, that was so good. It was so funny. Do you remember that story he told about this and that? And that? That's not what you need. You need the word of God to be, to, to be brought to your life so that you can know what the standard of morality is for your life and how you're to live. You need, the, you need the law of God, the word of God, to be constantly brought to bear on your life. Not funny stories and jokes. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to be funny. I try to add humor into all of my sermons because I know that it's important for you to have brain breaks while I'm preaching God's word. For, you to, for, for us to kind of enjoy being with each other. But a pastor's job is not to be an entertainer. His job is not to simply be a good communicator or motivational speaker. A pastor's job is not to make you feel good every service. You know, there's times that I'm going to say things that you leave and you don't feel good. And you think, I don't know if I want to go back to that church. But it's not because of what I did, hopefully. I don't ever want to cause you to feel bad because of what I did. But hopefully, if you feel uncomfortable when you leave, it's because the word of God was pressed onto your heart. And you know in your life there's areas, oh God, the mirror of your word has revealed who I am. And I don't like it. And I don't want to change. Pastor's job is not to make us feel good every service. A pastor's job is not to be all things to all people. It's not his job to make sure that everyone is happy and contented. That's impossible. I'm just about to reach two years of pastoring Living Word Church this next month. And that's just impossible. I, I can't make everybody happy because I'm just one person. A pastor's primary job is to preach the word of God to the people of God so that they will grow into Christ's likeness and as, as a result not be led astray by every wind of doctrine. That is my desire. That's what I want in your life. That as we go to the word of God Sunday after Sunday and we open it, we read it, we explain it, and we apply it to your life. My prayer is, the passion of my heart is, is that you would grow into Christ likeness. That who you are right now is not who you will be next year and the year after that because you are sitting under the relentless, consistent teaching of God's word. And I know that God's word is true and it's powerful. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 says it is alive and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces into our hearts and it does surgery on us and we need it and does surgery sometimes without anesthesia and it hurts but we need it and that's what I want for myself that's why I am constantly coming to God's word personally in my life that's why I will sit here and listen to Pastor Matt and other pastors preach because I have to sit under the sword of God's word to touch my heart. Last Sunday when Matt was preaching, I'm just crying on the front row that as God's word is impacting my life, reminding me that I need to tremble before his word. That's my desire. Because you need to be protected. John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. It's his high priestly prayer. And this is what he says to the Father. He says this, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And Jesus says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be changed into the image of Christ continually in your life. And how does that happen? 
Through the word. Through the word. Through the word of God. God's people need shepherds who will help them in their fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if, the, if a shepherd is not teaching God's word consistently, he's giving you no help. He's giving you no help. And you're coming in. People of God need to come into the house of God, have the word brought to bear on their life so that they can have help when they exit these doors into that crazy world where there is nobody trying to encourage you in the world to be like Christ. The filth and the sewage coming into the world today is at an all-time high. And you need help to know how to navigate that. You need help. Our kids need help. And where does the help come? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Pastors are called to be shepherds, to feed and to protect. And when a pastor doesn't do it, it's dereliction of duty. When a pastor does not do that, it is dereliction of duty. He needs to find another calling. When pastors, listen to this, when pastors faithfully fulfill their responsibility to preach God's word, God's people are continually exposed to biblical truth that sanctifies. And the sanctified Christ-like life that is lived out in the world stands as a credible witness to the power of the gospel. How does evangelism take place? Through your life. As you consistently stay under the teaching of God's word on Sundays and in your everyday life, you stay under the sanctifying work of the word. What happens is, is that you become sanctified. You become mature. You become more like Christ. And when you go into the world, you become a credible witness to the power of the gospel. Evangelism doesn't start with me and end with me. Evangelism starts with you as you submit to God's word to transform your life. And you go out into the world and someone looks at you and says, how is it? How is it that in the midst of cancer, how is it that in the midst of losing your job, how is it that in the midst of everything you're going through, you, you, you have peace, you have joy, you, you have a sense of purpose in your life still? It's because the gospel has transformed your life. You've been sanctified and, and called and set apart. That's what happens when shepherds teach the word of God. Evangelism in all of you. In all this congregation, it exits through those front doors and those side doors. And evangelists leave the building. Because you've been taught God's word. You've been equipped to go out and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our calling. Amen? Pastors are called to be shepherds. who protect the sheep by teaching the word of God. Secondly, back to 1 Peter. Let's look back at that text in 1 Peter. What does it say there? The second part there? We read it. Uh, Just a second ago, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So we we talked about being a shepherd, but it's important. What does it say there? Shepherd the flock of who? Of God. So the second thing we learn from 1 Peter 5 is that pastors are called to be stewards. We're called to be shepherds and we're called to be stewards. Who do the sheep belong to? Shepherd the flock of God. The sheep do not belong to the under-shepherds. God has given you to me as a stewardship, but you belong to who? To God. Steward. God's called me, given me a stewardship to shepherd you, but you belong to him. In, in, in the early church, in 1 Corinthians, there was division that had begun to develop within the early church. And Paul had to address it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And what was going on there 
is that people were having their allegiance with, with, with one pastor and then a, another pastor, and they said, well, this is who I'm a part of, and this is who I'm a part of, and there was, there was fragmentation within the body because there was this allegiance that was taking place, this idea that I belong to him and he belongs to me. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. This is Paul speaking. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? Who then is Apollos? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? But servants, but stewards through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. The sheep don't belong to Paul. The sheep don't belong to Apollos. You didn't belong to Renee, and you don't belong to me. You don't follow me. I, I'm, not, I'm not your chief shepherd. There's only one chief shepherd. Only one shepherd died for the sheep. I have been given a stewardship. You know what's interesting here is that this reality that you don't belong to me, and this is not my business, and, and you're not my people, it really raises the stakes because God is saying, I'm, Ben, I'm giving you some sheep to take care of. But they're not yours, they're mine. Look what Acts 20, 28 says. Pay, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, to the Ephesian pastors. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You were ransomed. If you belong to Christ here today and you're a Christian, it means you were paid for by his blood. He paid a price for you. When you buy something, it belongs to you, right? I never shed my blood for you. I didn't die on the cross for you. Who died on the cross for you if you're a Christian here today? Jesus did. And what is Paul telling the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock which God paid for. They belong to him, not to you. And so because of that, the stakes are raised. This is the seriousness of the stewardship that is placed on a pastor. You belong to him, and, and, and he paid for you with his precious blood. He laid down his life for you, and so that is the seriousness with which I have to see it. Pastors are not owners or CEOs. Pastors are simply stewards. It's kind of like my wife right here on the front row. She belongs to the Lord. She's a daughter of the king. And on December 13th, 2003, when I stood at the altar to get married to her, the Lord said, Ben, here's her heart. It's, it's, it's mine. It belongs to me. This is my girl. Her heart, her emotions, her feelings, her physical protection, all of it. This is my girl, and I'm giving her to you. Take care of her. Protect her. Watch over her, just like she's your own. It's the same thing. It's the same picture. God says, Ben, these are my sheep. Watch them. Care for them. Feed them. Protect them. Take care of them. Teach them my word. Why? Because I died for them. Because they're precious. They were worth so much to me that I spilled my own blood for them. Do you know that? That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable you are, that the king of the universe would send his son to die for you. 
If you're here today and you're, and you're struggling with knowing your value, I want to tell you here today that you are infinitely valuable, not because of how good you are or what you do or what you accomplish. You are valuable because the creator of the universe sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you can be forgiven of your sins, so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. And when by faith you place your trust in that work, and, and God calls you to Living Word Church. He says, Ben, take care of them. They're mine. I bought them. They belong to me. And pay careful attention that you do the job I've called you to. The chief shepherd has given his under-shepherds the responsibility to care for his flock. Jesus says, Ben, here's my sheep. Take care of them. Protect them. Acts twenty twenty nine says this. I know that after my departure, feel fierce Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, the sheep, after them. Therefore, be alert. It's my job to be alert. I pay attention to what goes on in the world. I pay attention to what goes on in the church culture. I pay attention to the messages that are out there. There's lots of things that are out there that are not good for you. And my goal is, is, that, is that I want to be faithful to teach God's word consistently that you get a steady diet for, for biblical truth that when you go out into the world and you're listening on YouTube and podcasts and you hear things and you think, wait a minute, that doesn't sound sound. That doesn't sound right. And I don't necessarily have to get up here, though I can get up here and say this is wrong and this is wrong and watch out for that preacher and that preacher. The goal is, is that I don't have to do that. Though I will. The goal is, is that you would grow into Christ's likeness. And you would develop an appetite that you can recognize error right away. That's the goal. But I have to be alert. Therefore, be alert. This is who a pastor is to be. This is the responsibility. A shepherd who feeds and protects. A steward who understands his responsibility to care for God's people. Not a CEO who is building his own empire. Thirdly, let's look back at 1 Peter again. Let's see another responsibility and calling that, that pastors have. He says this now. He says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. That means I'm not, I, no one's putting a gun to my head to do this. When Pastor Nay left on March 4th, 2018, he wasn't like, he didn't blackmail me or bribe me. He actually warned me and said, do you really want to do this? <laughs> he said, absolutely, willingly. I willingly, and I, I remember sometimes I'll go back at least probably the first two years. I've gone back probably two or three times, maybe more, and I've watched the video from March 4th. And I watched myself, and I thought, you didn't know what you were getting into. But you know what I watch? I watch. I stood right over here after I officially became the pastor, and I recalled the story about how my father-in-law was back there pre-service on March 4th, and I was sitting back there with my father-in-law. And he said, are you ready? And I said, yeah. And I told him the statement, no retreats, no regrets. I'm giving my life to this calling. And I'm asking my family to come alongside me to answer this call. I do it willingly, not under compulsion, but willingly. That's what First Peter 5 says a pastor should do. As God would have you. Here's, here's the admonition. Not for shameful gain. But eagerly not domineering over those in, in your charge. So here's the third principle we see from here. That pastors are called to lead with humility. 
They're called to lead with humility. They're not called to lead with pride, to come in and come with pride and to get all the money that he can get and, and to have all the authority that he can have, not for shameful gain, leading pridefully in, in a domineering way to get what he can out of the church and out of the ministry. Pastors are called to lead with humility. Pastors are called to lead as Christ led. And how did Christ lead? He led humbly. He led as a servant. John 6, 38, Jesus said this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's not my job to come in here, because you're not my sheep, you belong to the Lord. This is his church, not mine. It's not my job to come in here and say, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, and fooey on you if you disagree with me. No. I'm called to lead with humility, and I'm called to come before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want for this church? Lord, what does your word say that we're to be? Who are we to be according to your word? And that's how we are to lead. That's how shepherds are called to lead, that we lead with humility. Do you remember James and John? I've told this story many times on Sundays. Do you remember James and John, the power-hungry disciples in, in the book of Matthew? They go before Jesus, and they say, Jesus... We want a position of authority in your kingdom. We know you're a powerful leader and you're going to be a powerful king. And we want to sit on your right and on your left in your kingdom. We want to rule with you, Jesus. And they brought their mom along with them. I don't know if the mom went first to butter him up or if they all three went together. The text really doesn't tell us. But long story short, they went in there and they said, can we please sit on your right and on your left in your kingdom? What were they saying? They, say, they were saying we want authority. Pastors should not get into ministry because they want authority. You're not, you don't come into ministry for authority. You come into ministry for a stewardship and for a calling. So pastors are called to lead with humility. And what did, what did Jesus tell them? What did he say? He said, James and John, this is the earthly way. This is how humans left to ourselves approach leadership. They fight for it. They manipulate for it. They seek control and power. And Jesus tells these power-hungry disciples, you want to know who's great in my kingdom? James and John, you want to know who's going to be first in my kingdom? You're asking for authority. You're asking for a position. Do you want to know who's going to be first? You want to be first among many. You want to know who's first? Look what Jesus said. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, they're domineering over the ones they're they're called to lead. And they're great ones. They exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants. It's the word doulos in the Greek means slave. They're to be your slave. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, not to have a position on the right or the left or a prominent position, he came to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the call. Pastors are called to lead with humility. Domineering. Prideful. Overbearing. Self-seeking. Self-centered leadership has no place in the pastoral call. Or in any ministry call. Domineering. Prideful. Overbearing. Self-seeking. Self-centered leadership has no place in the pastoral call. And why do we know that? Because Jesus led like that. We're, we're not going to go to the text in John 13. But you, you know the story. In the upper room, Jesus comes. 
And he's, he has all the authority. He's not just a man. He's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. And he comes to these disciples, the same two of the same, James and John, who came and asked for positions of authority, tried to maneuver their way in for authority. He said, you wanna, I want to show you. Just, as, just as, I, as I told you that those who seek to be first will be last, the last will be first, and the greatest must be your slave, I'm going to show you what it looks like. What did he do? What did the Son of God, the Son of Man do? He put on an apron. He took off his outer garment. He put on an apron. And he bowed down on the ground. And he performed one of the, the, one of the, the lowliest responsibilities of a slave. And that was to wash the feet of people that had been walking with open-toed shoes and collecting dust wherever they went. And he got down there. The Son of God. This is God in the flesh. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14, and the word became, he's not just a man. He was in the beginning at creation. John 1 says that there was nothing that was made that was not made through Jesus. This is God incarnate, the creator of the universe, putting on an apron and bowing on his knees and washing feet. And can you imagine James and John? Can you imagine them? They're thinking, wow. Who does this? And that's the point. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate. He demonstrated. He says, men, you're gonna, I'm asking you to lead my church. I'm going to be going away. And he started telling them, I'm going away. And they said, they're not even paying attention. They didn't know he was about to die. These are the men that are going to be called to lead his church in the midst of persecution. And this is how he was calling them to lead. Pastors are called to lead with humility. The world's model of leadership is to suck everything out of those around you so that you can continue to climb your way to the top. The Lord will use pastoral ministry to strip you of your pride. That's what he does. If you've got any pride left, the Lord will say, I'm going I'm to strip it from you because I'm calling you to serve, to walk humbly. I'm taking our pastoral staff through a book called Gospel Eldership. It's written by a man named Robert Thune. It's a little small book. It's made for us to really dive deep into who we are on the inside as pastors, into dialogue about the things that we think and feel and who we are, our, our motivations and our desires. And it's, caused, it's, it's meant to not be a bunch of information, but it's meant to be a dialogue so we can all become better as pastors and lead humbly. I want to read what Robert Thune says about leadership and pastor, pastoral calling. One faulty model of leadership in churches is the anointed leader model. In churches with this form of leadership, the pastor is God's man who has the Holy Spirit's blessing and is seen to be a virtually untouchable and unquestionable spiritual leader. He usually practices a solo model of leadership, sunning, shunning peer accountability and often ruling with an authoritarian spirit. The biblical model of leadership is a plurality of pastors, a plurality of, of elders, of elders that we are the first among equals, that we are all equal, leading together with stewardship, a sense of stewardship and humility, shepherding God's people. I am not the only anointed pastor of God for this church. There are other men that are here that have been given that calling. I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not the singular leader that, that has to make sure that everything goes right and correct. No, no there, there's a team of us. It's a plurality of elders that we're on the same page, the same level. 
Now, God, yes, God has given me the, the responsibility for it as a senior pastor, but we're, we're in this together. It's a plurality. It's not this idea that I'm unquestioned and that I can do whatever I want to do. No, decisions are made in a group of men, in a group of leaders. That's what we do because our desire is to lead and to serve you with humility. So before we get to this last part of our calling, let's say again what the pastors are called to do. They're called to shepherd. They're called to be shepherds who protect and feed the flock through the teaching of God's word. Pastors are called to steward a people that belong to Christ because he ransomed them with his own blood. And pastors are called to lead with humility. The, the primary qualification for those in ministry. And lastly, pastors are called to be examples. Pastors are called to be examples. Let's go back to the text in First Peter 5. What does it say? But being examples to the flock. The life of a pastor is meant to be lived in a way that you can look at my life you can see me when I drive in public. How, how many of you have seen me drive in public? I'm not going to ask you if I was breaking the law. But maybe you've seen me. Have you seen, have you seen me in Rouse's? I saw one church member searching for yeast. I asked him this morning if he finally found the yeast two weeks later. He said, nope, had to go to Walmart. <laughs> Apparently, Rouse's doesn't, doesn't put yeast in a very findable place. But... Hopefully when I live, my, my goal is to be an example wherever I go, wherever I am, that I'm an example. My life is meant to be an example to, to you of how a Christian should live. I'm called to say as the Apostle Paul, what did the Apostle Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Wow. Think about that responsibility. To ever say that, I, I shudder to even say that. I, I would struggle to ever say that to, to any one of you. Follow me. Follow me. But it is my calling, it is my responsibility. And I can't see it as any less. And the moment I see it as less is the, is the moment that I'm in danger. I'm in danger of disqualifying myself. I have to be an example for you. That you can look at me and say, look at the pastors on staff here and say, those are godly men who have godly marriages, who are walking in integrity and character. It is my responsibility, it is our responsibility. Look what Paul tells to to Timothy, young pastor, 1 Timothy 4, let no one despise you for your youth, but do what? Set the believers in example. Just what it says in 1 Peter. Set the believers in example. In what? In how you talk. In your conduct. In love. In faith. In purity. We're called to be examples until I come devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. By the way, that's why we read it publicly. That's why I get up here every Sunday after worship and I read Scripture. Because I'm told to do that as a pastor. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. But be an example because if, you're only, if all you do is publicly read Scripture and you teach Scripture but you're not living a life of example, you disqualify yourself for ministry. The qualifications for pastor are important because they help ensure that the men who hold the office live lives of example. I'm about to read 1 Timothy 3. You can find these in 1 Timothy 3 and in the book of Titus, the qualification for elders and pastors and how they're to live. And they're really extensive and they're very detailed. And we want to go over them. But I want to say before I read these standards for pastors, these qualifications, I just want to tell you that it's not like baseball. Like, a baseball player is doing really good if he's batting 400. If he's batting 500, 50% of the time he gets a hit, 
that guy's going to the Hall of Fame if he can do that his whole career, right? No one's ever done that. Ted, Ted Williams, I think, was the only one who finished or had a whole season where he batted over 400. If my history serves me right as an avid baseball fan when I was a kid. But, 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 but in pastoral ministry, batting, batting 500 is not good. Here's the point. The point is, these qualifications I'm about to read, these qualifications have to be maintained in my life. And these men that are pastors to stay in the position. If I walk out of these qualifications, I disqualify myself. Listen to the qualifications. 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, an elder, a pastor must be what? Above reproach. What does that mean? Above reproach. He is above somebody making an accusation against him. Above reproach. The husband, the husband of what? One wife. What does that mean? It means he must be a one-woman man. The husband of one wife and not many lovers. The husband of one wife and not... And not Roaming around on the internet. The husband of one wife. Sexual purity. A one woman man. Sober minded. Self controlled. These are self explanatory here. Sober minded. Self controlled. Respectable. Hospitable. We have to be willing to be with you. To invite you to my house. To come to your house. To come see. To visit. To connect. To talk. To greet you out front. To be hospitable. The only gifting is right here. Able to teach. All the other things we read there, they're all character qualifications. The only skill is the, a, be, being able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not always looking for a fight to argue with people, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. My father-in-law, when I first became pastor, he said, you're, you're, you're missing the boat on that one, Ben. Your children are crazy. <laughs> he said, I don't think you can be a pastor. You better learn. <laughs> Doesn't mean that my kids aren't going to disobey and that they're not going to maybe make bad, bad decisions that, that we all do. But the idea is that, that my home is not in, in disarray. And what, and what it really means is this, is that I would choose her over you any day. And I would choose her and I would choose him who's not paying attention to me right now any day. He didn't even know I was talking to him. I caught him. I choose Lincoln over there and Reagan over there. And the moment that ministry threatens my family and the well-being of my marriage and my kids, I'm gone. I got to manage my household well. That's what that means. For if someone does, know, does not know how to manage his own household, how will they care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. I wasn't born, I wasn't saved two, two years ago. I got born again. How old am I? 25 years ago, I got born again. Must not be a recent convert. Why? Why must he not be a recent convert? Because he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. These are the qualifications. 
This is how I have, this is who I'm to be and how I'm to live and how Dominic and, and Jimmy and Miko and Clyde and Matt Carnes and Vern, these are how all the pastors are called to, to live their life. These are the responsibilities that we've been given. And we take it very serious. And if you ever go to a church and you, you come in there and, and they're not teaching the word, they're not shepherding by teaching, they're not protecting by teaching, they're domineering, they're controlling, and they're, they're not leading by example, living lives of example, get out of that door as quickly as you can. Go find another church. Find a shepherd that will teach you the Bible. Find a shepherd that lives a life of example. Find a shepherd that leads with humility. So, a lot of things I've said here today. I want to read this, James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who will teach will be judged with greater strictness. So that qualification about being able to teach, you can have a great gifting to teach, but I'm going to be held to a stricter standard. Why? Because I have to live what I preach. I'm called to be an example. All believers are called to live a godly life. All believers are called to pursue Christ, but the impact of a leader, whether it's just, whether it's not pastoral ministry, but even just in leadership, but especially in pastoral leadership, the implications and the ramifications of, of a pastor that was walking away in immoral ways, the ramifications are great. The way you live impacts all of your family as Christians. We all are held to the standard of obeying God, but if I walk away, it impacts you and, and you 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 and all the ones on vacation impacts all of them too. All of you, you and you and you and you and you and everyone. It impacts you. You start thinking, man, can anybody serve the Lord? The pastor can't live it. Who can live it? That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Listen to what Paul says. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's why it's serious. So think about it. Nehemiah 8. God's word is honored. God's word is read for six hours. God's people respond with amen, amen. They respond with reverence and they bow their head to the ground. Then God's servants get down with the people and explain the text. They interpret it. They give them the sense and the meaning of the text. They help God's people to understand what God is saying to them. Seems straightforward. Seems simple, right? But when we see the weight, as we've gone over this morning, when we see the weight of what Scripture tells us about this calling and what the implications are for the spiritual health of God's people, it should motivate us to do what? To pray. I need you to pray for us as pastors. We don't want to shame the name of Christ. You all know the horror stories. You may have came from another church where the pastor disqualified himself and you, you spent years hurting and you thought, I'll never go to a church again. And God healed your heart and you're here. What should that do? This understanding of the impact that we have with our life. You should pray for us. Pray that we would walk with integrity. Pray that we would fulfill our calling. Pray that I would never get up and just be a comedian and tell you cute jokes every Sunday. But, but with no truth. Pray that we would be examples to you. Pray. Amen? Pray. Why? 
Because you need shepherds who will feed you God's word so you can be protected from the onslaught of the enemy in this world. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we ask, Lord, that you, you would help me and help the brothers, the pastors here at Living Word Church, help us to live what your word says we're called to live. God, help us to be men of integrity. Help us to be men of character. Help us to be men of the book. Help us to open the book, to read the book, to explain the book, to interpret the book. Help us to be lives of example so your people can follow. God, it is difficult to live in this world today, left exposed and open without protection. And I pray that this church will always be a church where your people are protected because they are fed your word. They have an appetite for truth and they can discern between truth and error. May it always be that way. And may it always be done for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I love you. See you next week.